Well, I, uh, I hope you've enjoyed walking through this series. Um, well, when you're done with your conversation, maybe you can tell me if you've, if you've enjoyed it or not. So I don't want to interrupt the fellowship out here. Oh. Goodness. You think those, like, like, those subtle sarcastic phrases every week would like make you draw to your seat, but just like no. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed walking through these Ten Commandments. I, I, I mean, to me personally, uh, whether I preach anything or not on it, it's just been very impactful for my personal life and just walking through what this means for me as a Christian, as a 21st century Christian, and how I lead my family, and uh, it's just been very, very impactful. So I hope you're getting the same thing. If you've missed any of this series, uh, we haven't completely built on each other, but they kind of they, they kind of work that way. So if uh, if you can just go to our website, windowhills.org, and you can pick up any of the teachings. They're all on there. Um, I think we had a little bit of fuzziness last week, but I think we've got that sorted out. So uh, it's it's good, ready to go. Well, if you've got your sermon notes, uh, I want to walk through this uh, this morning, and and uh, <clears throat> this is one that I would say, on one hand, I want to say it's pretty straightforward. On another hand, I think we do a really good job justifying ourselves out of this one. And so I'll tell you what I mean in just a minute as we walk through. So um, let me pray for you, um, and we'll, we'll jump right into it. Father, I want to pray uh, because I think there is an impactful point that will be hit that will either be received and hurt or will be denied and be non-impactful uh, at all. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, uh, you would guide and direct and use your spirit as you have the freedom to do today. In your son's name, amen. All right, so Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments is what we're walking through. Remember, Jesus, excuse me, God handed this to his people when they were in the wilderness. They had been slaves for several hundred years, and now they are in the wilderness. They have no culture. They know nothing. They have no governing body. And God gives them the commandments here, not only to live by and how they work with one another, but you're going to find later on, if you want to continue reading uh, in, these, in these books, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you're going to find that God gives them this whole way to govern their life and how to lead their life. And really, overall, His promise is this. If you live this way, it is just better life for you. Do you believe that? That there's better life in God's ways? Do you believe it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we struggle in following it then? If we believe it? I don't know. I mean, to me, to, to put cream of tartar in my biscuits when I make it makes all the difference because they're fluffier. I would never not put it in there. Oh. But in God's ways, I know they're better life, but sometimes I still omit them to my life. Why do we do that? I don't know. But we're going to jump into this one right here, and we're, we're going to challenge ourselves uh, uh, pretty strongly here. Exodus chapter 20, we're in the list of five commandments that basically in your translation probably say do not, or you must not, or you shall not if you're working in the King James, but a very quick, straight statement. So God is just trying to be very clear in this, don't do this. You know what that is? Yeah, don't do that. All right? That's what he's trying to say here. Chapter four, uh, 20, verse 14. Here's what it says. Do not commit adultery. Pretty straightforward, right? Don't commit adultery. All right, listen. Those of you who are married out there, all right? The person you're married with, that is the person you're married with. All right? That's the person you get to hang out with. That's the person uh, you get to call yourself married to. That's the person you get to have sexual interaction with. That is your marriage partner. Don't do that with anyone else. That, that's really what he's saying here. All right? Don't go out 
and now say, hey, that's good here. I like that. I'm going to go do that with somebody else. Don't do that. that. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, and God is setting this up in the very beginning. Why? Why does God say here, this is very important? Now, first of all, we would say, oh, because God's culture is very distinct from other cultures. And so God wanted to make sure we understood in our culture, in our Christian culture, they didn't call it Christian men, but in this culture, that we honor that marriage. We honor that, and we, we stay connected to that, because that's going to be the metaphors we find out later on how like, God interacts with us, and our commitment, and our covenant. And that is true. All of that is true. But you know, the pagan societies of the day pretty much held to this commitment as well. Adultery was something that they would espouse to as well. Now, you might read a few things here or there that you go, oh, wow, that's very pagan. But you could read a few things in God's Word, like uh, David's story with Bathsheba as well, and you could go, oh, wow, that sounds pretty pagan as well. All of the culture struggled with it. But many cultures at their core had this value of don't murder, don't commit adultery. They had this key value. Why does God make this such a cornerstone in putting in the top ten here? This very significant. Well, here's one thing as we walk through it. Uh, number one in your notes, marriage is really a foundation of society. That's how God views it. When God views marriage, he calls it a foundation. Now, just a second before I continue on. If you're not married today, if you've chosen not to get married in your life, you just said, you know, I just, God hasn't called me to that. We are not saying you are not part of society now. You can't function in society. You're like a total misfit. No, not at all. That's not what we're talking about. But when marriage comes into the picture, God is saying this is a cornerstone of how we interact in our society. Things that are good for us, things that end up being really bad for us. Marriage works into these things. And here's what he's talking about. Let's look at another thing. Leviticus chapter 20 just so God is clear on how important this is to him, he says this, If a man commits adultery with his wife's, with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. So it's pretty clear. I mean, remember back with, with kids when it says if a kid doesn't honor his father and mother, the kid will be taken out and put to death. Um, a, lot of, a lot of put to death going on here uh, in God's word in the beginning. What's being said here? It's being said, look, you, you got to hold to this. This is so important. I'm going to get a little bit to the why. This is so important, all the way to the point that I'm willing to put like the death penalty on this. Now, we find in Scripture, if you read through, there's not a lot of instances in Scripture where we find somebody committed adultery and they drug them out and they kill them, you know, where there's a story about that. It's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't like run through the pages. In fact, there's no story of a man committing adultery and a man be taken out and killed. Uh, and so you, you can see that even the carrying out of this was, was, uh, was somewhat tough for the Israelites as it would be for us. Did you know that in 31 states, still, 31 states, that it's still on the books that adultery is I- illegal, criminal, illegal. Can you imagine that? When was the last time you heard of somebody being like criminally tried for for that. But that's what God's saying. That's how important it is for God here as he is saying, don't do it, and if you do it, death. That's pretty good deterrence. Hey, parents, around your house, you got chores for your kids? You know, you got things that you want them to do, don't want them to do? I mean, put the death penalty on it, and then go ahead and, like, kill the first kid that does it. 
I'm telling you, kid two, three, four, five, whatever you got, they're going to fall in line pretty well. I mean, car trips, you got five kids, okay? I mean, make an example with one. It's going to be nice with four the rest of the way, all right? God is serious about this. Take a look at this, though. Um, in the New Testament, just in case you were sitting here thinking, yeah, that's Old Testament stuff, that's old law stuff, take a look at this. Jesus, uh, they speak about this. Paul, as he's writing, speaks about this and goes a little stronger even. Do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, being put to death, that's not good. You're done with this earth. But I mean, he's saying, do you not realize that those who, <coughs> who do wrong will not inherit God? They won't go to heaven. Those that do wrong, they, they, I mean, they, this is eternal now. This is not just the put to death. So he even goes further. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sins, who worship idols, who commit adultery, or males, prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, Paul is not playing around either when he's talking about this. Now, here's the problem. In our Christian culture, as we just read that here today, in our, our, our day and age now, our eyes immediately jump to the practice homosexuality. That's our hot button issue. That's the thing that, that that's out there in big battles going on, obviously in the political realms. You know, the conservative liberal debates, all that's going on. Even within the Christian church, there's a strong battle between those who claim the tradition and those who are redefining the tradition. That's where our eyes draw. Put that to the side for now. This is not a message about that. Paul puts in here as serious as you might feel about the, that issue, Paul puts adultery in here. Paul says in here, look, this is a serious, serious issue. And if you're going to be on one side and you're going to argue and claim and push on homosexuality and, and, and what you feel about that and as wrong as terrible and blah, 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 and you're going you're to remember just a few words prior. He talks about adultery. He talks about how we interact in what we would call a traditional marriage. And he hits it pretty hard here. In fact, I would say this is like a modern day for us equivalent of Matthew chapter 7 verse 3 when he says that we are so concerned often with the speck in somebody else's eye and we've not taken the plank out of our own eye. That this is something incredibly significant. Do you know that one in five marriages has husband or wife, one in five marriages, has at some time developed a relationship with someone outside the marriage that was really one step away from sexual adultery. That means there's this companionship, this connection, attraction, lust, whatever went into it. One in five have said, yes, I've had that type of relationship. And you would say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, one in five across our nation? Mm -mm. One in five in the reveal study which was only done for church-going Christians. One in five. It affects us just the same, this, this issue of adultery and how we, we draw these connections that can lead to this as well. And often we don't understand how significant of an issue this still is in our culture. And God is still to this day saying, don't do that. It's, it's, don't do it. It hurts the foundation of your society. It hurts who you are. It hurts what you're about in the church. It hurts everything. Proverbs actually says it this way, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool and says he destroys himself. Destroys himself. 
I mean, think about it for an instance. If I'm a guy who I've been married 18 years, and you know, I see a girl, and I go, "Wow, she's got it going on," and I, you know, and I start drawn to this, and you know, we make a little small talk here, and you know, I'm just Facebook friends, you know, kind of, you know, whatever. And before I know it, I get in a compromising situation where my weakness pushes me to a point where I've either physically or I definitely relationally have allowed myself to be in, you know, quote-unquote love with that person. I mean, think about that. What does that do to my life? I've got a wife of 18 years. I've got three kids. What, what is next for that? What type of hardship do I bring on myself? An incredible amount. It's a terrible route to walk down, right? That's what the writer of Proverbs is saying here. We destroy ourselves. That we choose that route and forget about what now we have to deal with in order to take that. Let's move on to the, the second thing we want to look at today uh, in this. Why does God talk about this? It's because marriage is a mirror of Jesus and his church. This is a powerful, dominant metaphor in Scripture. It, we find that the metaphor of family, of father, son, all the way through Scripture, that's a key, key metaphor. And so God talks about how our families have to treat each other and care for one another and how we interact with one another because really it's a model of how God loves us and how he wants us to interact with him as well. But the same is true in marriage here. We find that in God's word that we are called his bride and he is a groom. I mean, that's a pretty strong, powerful metaphor. Because with God here, there, there is not like, you know, hey, have your, your first marriage, and that first marriage is just really to, you know, just to figure it out. You're young. What do you really know? Um, but you'll really nail it down in the second marriage. God doesn't think that way at all. And so when he calls Christ the groom and we're his bride, he's saying, look, this is a forever partnership. That when we receive Christ into our lives, he says, look, we're, we're bonded. We're locked forever. That's, that's how I view it. I'm committed to you. You know, to the end is how he looks at it. So it's a mirror of that. That's how it goes here. All right, I want to read this next verse. Take a look at this. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is the whole passage. I'm just going to read the first part for you. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. We went a little riled up at that passage there. We're just reading that passage alone and just stopping right there. I'd be. I mean, you, those of you who were not like, no, it wasn't a problem. I, I know. You know the rest of the passage. You know how it goes. But let me just share with you. Like, I read that verse, and guess what? I'm going to tell you from the stage here as your pastor, I believe in that verse. 100% I believe in that verse. But not like you might believe it. Not like you might think. You see, the passage goes on, and it says here, as we just read there, that... That as Christ is the head of the church, he's the savior of body and the church. But then you know what it goes on to say? It says that I have to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. If my memory serves right, Christ died for the church. Ephesians chapter 2 says that when he came to earth, that he emptied himself and became nothing, became humble, even to the point of death on a cross. That's what he did. And I'm called to love my wife that way. I mean, do you know what the passage is basically saying is that as a husband, I am called to do the same thing for my spouse. That I have to surrender to die for my spouse, to be humble for my spouse. You see, when we read that passage, I think often men read it and they go, well, that means I'm picking a place for, di for dinner tonight. I'm a man at his house. 
And that's what I say goes, and that's how it is. With Jeff over here saying, we're going to this barbecue place, because he's a big barbecue place, and I don't care what barbecue you like, Karen. And that's, that's not how it works, is it? Yeah. I know, I know it's not, because she can beat you up. <laughs> um, but that's how we read it. It's how we interpret it. It's like at the end of the day, and we're deciding what money is bought, uh, spent on what, and on the man of the house. I'm going to make the call on this. That's not what the passage is talking about at all. The passage is assuming that the husband is so in love with God and so in love and invested with Christ that they are willing to let Christ be the absolute model of their life. And if Christ is the absolute model of their life and they will surrender before what Christ has told them to be, why would a wife not want to surrender to that and follow that? Why would a wife not want to be so in love with that type of husband? Nobody wants a power trip husband but one that is surrendered and submitted to Christ and following him. And then God said, so yeah, wife, fall in line with that. Follow that, because that is somebody who is spiritually leading you and guiding you exactly where you need to go. That's what the past. Can you see the mirror here that is being drawn? The, the, the characters are the same, and that's why God speaks so strong about marriage. Here's what, if, if Hebrews, it says this, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God surely, will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. I mean, these are key things, God is saying. There is significant punishment, hurt, and harm that comes with it. Number three here. Forsaking all others in our marriage it's also with your heart, not just your hand or your mind, excuse me, not just your hands. It's with your mind, with your heart, not just your hands. Okay, so here Jesus comes along and says this. He says, hey, you remember that, remember that commandment? What was it? Don't commit adultery. You remember that? And now, if you're a religious leader, right, and you've been picking on Jesus up till now because Jesus seems to be, in their views, you know, crazy liberal guy. I mean, that, that's what they would have thought. You know, he's not following in line with the, uh, with the laws, especially the laws that we've created to fill in the gaps. He's not following in line with these. And so Jesus says to him, hey, you, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Now, if you're religiously, you're going, oh, yes, I have heard that said. Okay, good. Now he's talking our language here. And Jesus goes on and he says this, but I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Well, now that's not nice, Jesus. I mean, that's, that's pretty strong. And that, in one sentence, it went from him saying, look, you know the passage about adultery? And I'm saying, like, yeah, I don't do that. I've never done that. I'm good. He's not, you know, talking. Let's talk, who are you talking about, Jesus? Who's the bad guys? Who's the sinful scum of the earth you're talking about? And then he, in one sentence, says, I say that any man who has looked lustfully on another woman has already committed adultery in his heart. Ooh, you know, now I'm backing away out of the crowd and, you know, I'm ready to not be involved anymore because Jesus has in one sentence, he has hit the heart of the issue. That God doesn't put these commandments in place just to say, hey, keep score well. You know, if in the end you can score really good on this, you know, you've got a better shot at a good spot in heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm after your heart. And at the core of each of these commandments, there's a heart issue. 
And I'm not just at, you know, just sinfully lust on anything that walks the planet, you know, but as long as you don't physically cheat on your wife, you're in good standing with me. He said, I want you to have a thriving marriage. I want your marriage to be so incredible that the only person you look at that way is your spouse. Because there's something much better in marriage and life if you would, if you would limit it to that. And as they say, if, if you give yourself that way, if your imagery and thinking and, and whatever projection in your head, you, you, you've already gone that far. The same as we said last week, that you're stealing life when you tell somebody you're worthless in your words, and Jesus equates that to murdering them. Jesus is equating this now to saying, you, you, you are robbing something of your marriage. You are driving a wedge that's just as powerful as adultery. You are already driving that wedge within your marriage if you allow that type of lust to come into your life. And so we have to guard ourselves here. That's what Jesus is saying. This is that important. Now, I just want to take a second. If all the men that have lusted after a woman that's not their wife uh, here, if you wouldn't mind standing up for just a second, I want to talk to you. So... Um, <laughs> nobody wants to participate in this. Thank you for your honesty, Tim, because, yeah, really, <laughs> your, 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 lack of, <laughs> your lack of standing has, uh, is your confession. Um, so we understand. I mean, it's every man. At some point, this has, this has rocked us. It's, it's hit us. And Jesus says, look, you, you can't live there. You can't live in that state. Now, men, we're not talking about lady walks down the street and you know we and we look and go, oh, okay, that's and and we say, look away. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, oh, okay, and then you know I start to watch, envision, dwell, move that direction, whatever. That's what we're talking about. And just say it's gonna it's gonna murder, it's gonna kill your your marriage and drive a wedge. And so don't just say. I didn't actually break the commandment. Follow it with your heart and see what life comes at it in your marriage. Take a look at what Frank Pittman says here. It says, Fidelity is not in the sex necessarily, but in the secrecy. It's in whom you lie it's not in whom you lie with, it's in whom you lie to. Meaning we keep that. Maybe the actual physical act or maybe just the lustful act when we keep that to ourselves and we're not, we don't share that with our spouse, you can see the wedge that's driven within our marriage. But Jesus, he is so smart on these things. So smart. And not a guy that was even married, but he knows. He knows interaction. And so he's calling us to live this out to a different level. I'm going to ask you this morning, how are you honoring your vows? How are you honoring your spouse. I mean, when you stood before a pastor, you didn't commit before the pastor and the body that was there, though they witnessed it and, and probably encouraged you and guided you in directions. You committed before God. You made a covenant decision before God. And when you said the vows, whether you wrote them out yourself or you went traditional on vows, um, I don't know how you did it. But you made those vows and those covenants before God. And God has a promise on his end. On his end, he says, look, I'll make your marriage thrive. I'll make your marriage incredible. Now, you want to have the best relationship and the best friend you've ever had? 
I'll help you do that when you, within marriage here. I mean, you want to just laugh and have the greatest joy and the, feel the safest place and the protection? I'll do that for you in your marriage. He promises. Yeah, you want to have the, the greatest physical side of, of a relationship? And I'll, I'll do that for you as we're well. All that is, is what he says is, is there in a marriage situation. But, but he says, look, you've got to hold to this commitment, this covenant that you made in front of me, and you've got to let me help you thrive in this. And Jesus is saying here, look, uh, well, God's saying, look, adultery can't be part of it. Jesus is going in further to say, look, lust can't be part of it either. You've got to cut those out this morning. How's your honor? How's that looking in your relationship? I, I know that often men, we get hit with this the hardest because we're so visual, but it's not limited to us. It's, it's everyone. If this morning you would say, man, um, I don't want to admit it. I don't want to stand up. And it's not like I want to go have a conversation with my wife after church, but... That is dead on what he's talking about that's dead on me. You gotta ask yourself, what are you willing to do starting now? What are you willing to do to make a change in your life? It starts with just going before God and hating the sin to the point where we want to cry out to God and just say, God, take this from me. I don't want to live this way one more moment. And then from that point, it starts to take the accountability measures. You might say, I just got to get rid of cable or the TV because, you know, it's not like I'm watching terrible stuff, but it's everywhere I look, and my mind can't handle it. And you might have to get rid of it. You might have to say, I've got to go from sports and sports commercials to following sports stats on my phone because my mind can't handle it. I don't know what it is you're smart enough to walk through and figure out or draw in another Christian that can help, help you on this issue, but it's that important to your life. And that's why this is included in the Ten Commandments. It's why Jesus still speaks about it many, many years later. It's why we still assemble together his body of believers, and we still have to talk about it today. I want to pray for you about this right now, and I want to just really ask, um, because this would be one that you might be uh, a little bit of a squirmer in the last few minutes on this, and if you could just survive the squirming long enough, you can get out the door and life can go on and you don't have to deal with this anymore. Look, the troubles of it, they, they won't go away. Just the squirming will go away for a little while. Um, I want to encourage you, invite you to deal with it right now. So I want to give you time as we pray to go before God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and the, <coughs> the opportunity um, to look at your word and look at something that's, I think, hard for so many of us. And Father, I just want to pray right now. I want to pray for marriages that are struggling. If there be anyone in the room right now that maybe just recently they've even had the conversation that it's time to, time to wrap this, this puppy up and move on to something else in our lives. Father, would you say, no, you, you, you will help a marriage thrive. And Lord, I don't know if this fidelity issue is at the cornerstone of, of those relationships, but I know this issue, especially in the sense that Jesus talked about it, hits so many of us in the room right now that we deal with it, that we deal with the secrecy of it. For some, Lord, it might just be an addiction to pornography this morning, what they view and what they look at, what allows their mind to think on. But Father, you have said over and over, not just don't do that. You said it'll drive the roads. It'll destroy what joy and life I actually have for you. Would you just surrender and commit this, and I will help from here. I believe there's many of you out there that that probably is, is the impact of the morning, is just claiming and believing that. And So I just want to give you a few seconds here. If 
just of quietness and it's Greg's plan here, just a few seconds to just go before God and if you need to confess and seek forgiveness, great time to do it. It's hard to move forward when we don't hate our sin. So I'm going to give you a few seconds to do that and speak to God and do business with Him however you need. Go ahead. there's one out here who's just, you know, you're on the edge of it. You've had, even had opportunities to commit adultery. You've developed a relationship. It's, there's moments where you feel like you're not strong enough to say no, and, and you're right there. Or maybe you're in the middle of it. I just want to plead with you this morning to not do it or to quit doing it. And you surrender before God. And let Him restore the marriage you have Father, speak to us how you need the rest of this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage and draw forward marriages in this area. Save marriages, Father, we pray in your son's name. Amen. 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 We'll continue. We've got three more commandments to walk through over the next three weeks. So uh, I just uh, hope that you walk in and come to each of those as well. I want to make sure uh, I do remind you the boxes in the back, the lot boxes, the, those are just great looking boxes that you guys came up with. And, um, and if you would take one of those boxes, they're designed for you to take, fill up with the food items and bring back uh, next week. And I think it's, it's the 29th or the 22nd, John? 22nd. So your, your date's wrong on your, in your bulletin. It's the 22nd is the food distribution. That would mean it's very helpful if you could take those boxes this morning, fill them up, and bring them next week so we have them for that next Saturday. It would be uh, very helpful. Final thing I want to do is, um, I, I know Liz is back teaching, but Zeb's in the back uh, room. I told you uh, was last week or so that they're, they're pregnant, and we're pretty excited about that. And um, so, but... Uh, but I was thinking this week because I was I was I was with the men at the at the house, but I went in to the house for just a second and got to hear what was going on. I did youth ministry for 16 years, and I worked so hard for so many years to create kind of a flashy youth ministry program with a great upfront stage presence and praise team and lights and the whole bit and stuff. And and even what the stats are telling us about that is that that is failing in youth ministry that still somewhere between 70-80% of teens are going off to college and they are forsaking their faith. And yet those that are plugged in with solid Christian relationships with the teens and with Christian adults where they can engage and interact and speak and, and share who they are and not just sit back and watch someone on the stage, those are the ones that are more impactful and stick. And I just sat there with pride watching Zeb and Liz interact with our teens and thinking that's really what is happening in a living room uh, on Wednesday nights. And so if you have teens and you've not taken advantage of our Wednesday night impact program, I just really want to encourage you 
to, to get there because I really strongly believe that you're not going to walk in and it's not going to look like it looks on brochures, on, on big churches. I, I am 100% certain that God is honoring of what's going on in that living room. And, and, uh, and so I just really want to encourage your parents to plug into that. And I want to thank you, Liz and Zed, for what you guys are doing with our teens. So thanks so much. Yeah. So. And, you know, the teens have they've grown. Um, you know, when I first got here and I was doing a little something, you know, I had like, I mean, 16 years youth ministry. I couldn't get more than five or six kids there. You know, and they've, you know, they're busting out of the living room now. So um, if it was put on your heart at all, an interest to work with teens, um, we want to talk with you a little bit about it. We pray you use your card and just let us know. Um, we'll be up front to say this is not just a sign up and you're in kind of thing. We want to make sure it's a great fit for our, our teens. So, But if you have interest in working with our teens and helping that ministry, just let us know on your card and in just a minute drop it in and that would uh, be a big blessing to our teens as well. So, Alright, well, we're going to finish up with uh, uh, one more song and go out singing, but our, our ushers are going to come and take our morning offering. So please stay faithful in this area of our tithes and offerings and our commitment to giving and building the mission of the church. So ushers will come and why don't you stand and we'll go out singing.